Hey guys, thanks for joining us today. One of the things that energizes our teams the most is being able to hear stories of lives that are impacted by this ministry. We would love for you to share your story with us by emailing it to stories at newcommunity.co or maybe your next step to getting connected to what God is doing in this ministry is partnering with us financially. You can do that online at www.newcommunity.co or through the PushPay app and find the giving option that works best for you. Thanks so much for tuning in and enjoy today's message. Well, good morning, church. I hope you're doing good this morning. And if you're a guest here, if it's your first time um, here at NCC or maybe you're new to church in general, let me start by introducing myself. My name is Aaron and I'm the lead pastor here at NCC and we're excited that you're worshiping with us. You know, as you walked in, you may have seen a lot of these M symbols around. And let me take a moment and just explain to you what those mean. We're talking this year, and God is challenging us with this idea that we are made for more. Okay? We believe that, that you are made for more in your personal lives, in engaging with God's word, in growing in your relationship with God. It doesn't matter if you're just starting off or if you've been serving God for 20 years. This year, God is challenging us with that, that we are, we are all made for more. In your community, in your family, here at the church, you're made for more. God wants to do more in your life this year. And so we're focusing in on that idea that each and every one of us, we are made for more. And so I want you to take a moment. I want you to turn to the person next to you, okay, and just challenge them with that. Encourage them with that. Tell them that you are made for more. Okay, we believe that. And we we are continually, every week, we're looking and discovering what that means in our lives. What does it mean this week? That God, is making, that God has made us for more and that we're living that out, you know, in our school, in our workplace, wherever we are at, we're living out that idea that we are made for more. And as we walk through this, we're walking through the Bible together. We started in the book of Genesis about four weeks ago, started at the very first chapter and how God made everything. And then we've been taking the, the next few weeks and we're going to continue to do that and walk through the next five books of the Bible in this series. We're still in the book of Genesis, the first book um, this morning. But we've looked at some different people in the book of Genesis. We've looked at their lives, what God's done, trials that they've been through, difficulties, but even celebrations and joyous moments and how God takes those moments in their life. And he uses it to show them who he is calling them to be, who they are created to be. And as we look at their story, then we're looking at our life. And we're saying, okay, God, if that's what you did inside of them, what does that mean for us? How does that help us to be a different employee? How does it help us to be a different boss? How does it help us um, in our school as a student? God, how does it help us in our relationships? And so we're asking that question, who are you? What is it that God is speaking to us? And how are we applying that into our life? And so today we want to look at this idea. We are people who run from sin. We are people who run from sin. If you're taking notes, you can write that down. That's what we're going to look at today. We are people who run from sin. Just a couple of weeks ago, I was, um, maybe like a week and a half ago, I was in Hobby Lobby with my kids, and they look at me. I don't know if you've been there, but they already have all of the Christmas stuff out. And my kids were like, man, it's so early. Why are they putting all of the Christmas stuff out already? And I was thinking um, back to whenever I was a kid, and I think we didn't do our Christmas shopping until like right up you know, maybe just like the week before Christmas or something. And when I was eight or nine, my parents wanted to do something different. 
So every year, like my brother and I, probably like all of the kids, we would kind of leave hints. We would give ideas like, mom and dad, this is what I really want for Christmas. I want this toy or this is what I want. But my parents wanted to do something different. And so they said, hey, this year, we're not going to get you just what you want. But each of us, we're going to go somewhere and we're going to have you buy something that really means something, something sentimental, something of value that kind of has a memory attached to it or something um, for everyone else in the family. So we're going to give you some money and you're going to do that. So I didn't know if I really liked that idea all that well as a kid, but it's what we had to do. And so we went to this little shopping area and there were a few um, kind of stores attached to each other. And so I went first with my dad and I got something for my brother. Then my brother and I went off. And I'm a little kid, and I'm sitting down looking at $20, okay, you guys? And it looked like a million dollars to me, and I'm so pumped. And I got this thought in my mind, my parents aren't going to know how much whatever I buy them costs, right? I'm not getting the idea of what my parents are wanting me to do that Christmas. And so I get this idea. I can buy something for myself and then just get my parents something, and this is going to work out really well. And so I go around the store, and I find this, this bag of marbles. I don't know why, but it's what I wanted. And so I look at it, guess how much money I need, um, take some of the leftover. I buy my parents something, can't even remember what I got them. And so I take all of my stuff. We get in the car. We head home. I get to the house, I put away all the presents. I take this bag of marbles and I hide it um, in this closet that my brother had around these boxes. And I wait about 30 minutes. I felt like that was long enough. And I go down there, I go in my brother's room. I'm kind of playing around for a few moments. And then no one's there, but I start to yell out, oh my, look what I found. This is so amazing. You guys, I'm giving an Oscar performance and no one is there to see it. I, I'm so surprised. Like I'm yelling out loud, look, this is so, this is so cool. I've never seen these before. And I grab a handful of the marbles and I run into my parents' room. And I run up to my parents. My mom and dad were sitting there and they were doing something. I'm like, look what I found in Michael's closet. I can't believe this. I don't know where they came from. And I don't know what it was, if it was my lack of performance, my subpar performance, or what it was, my parents quickly deciphered that I was not telling the truth. And so they started to ask me questions. Where did you find these? So I told them, hey, I found them in my brother's closet. I don't know where they came from, mom and dad. They were just there. Like, they just showed up. So they asked me a few more questions, and slowly I'm getting deeper and deeper into this lie, and I'm starting to stumble over my words. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to answer all of their questions. And, and pretty quickly, they discovered I was lying. And I like broke down in that moment and I started crying. I, I felt bad at that moment. And I can't remember, I think I had to take the marbles back or I had to give them to someone. But, but I discovered, man, it, it just felt so horrible in that moment that I had lied to my parents when I was supposed to be giving them a gift and, and doing something special for them. And I even remember, even though I apologized to my parents Christmas morning when we woke up and my parents are opening their gift and, and I see them open that and I realized, hey, that's not really what they should have gotten. Because I took something for myself that I shouldn't have. My selfishness, my lying, like all of that came back in my mind on Christmas morning when we were all opening up presents because I know that I had not acted the way that I should have acted. And I realized in that moment, even though I didn't have the words to kind of put together with that, that my sin affects my relationship with God and others. That whenever I sin, even when I try to hide it, even when I try to lie about it, whenever I sin, it impacts that relationship. It, it, relationship. it impacted what was taking place on Christmas morning with my parents. And there was just this yucky, awkward feeling 
in my heart. And we don't always see that. We don't always realize that. Sometimes maybe we're a little bit better at hiding it. But that truth still remains, church, that our sin affects our relationship with God and it affects our relationship with others. And it's not just in my life. I mean, you look all around the world today and you see the effects of sin. You see it in our government. Not just the two politicians that are running, but in so many of the politicians that are here in the United States, we have distrust towards them, right? We don't have full confidence that they're looking out for our best interest. That doesn't mean every politician isn't, but for so many of them, why? Because sin has entered into that relationship. And we've seen politicians be dishonest. We've seen them abuse their power. We've seen them do these things. And generally as the public, we don't trust them. Why? Because sin affects our relationship with God and it affects our relationship with others. We see that in the brokenness in the cities around the United States over the past few weeks and over the past few months as people have allowed violence and hatred to enter in. It breaks the relationships that are supposed to be there. And now there's division, there's discord, there's mistrust in those relationships. You may see it in your workplace. An innocent flirting that just starts out with two people talking to each other. And all of a sudden, there's an affair. And now a marriage is breaking apart. A family is breaking apart. Kids are hurt because of the divorce that's going on. And for some reason, someone thought, you know what? I can hide it. No one's going to know. My spouse isn't at the workplace. It's not going to matter. But our sin affects our relationship with God. And it affects our relationship with others. Over and over again, we see that. It doesn't matter how much we try to hide that or what we try to do. It does. It affects us. It affects the way that we see God and the way that we view God. And I want us to look this morning at the life of Joseph and how he was a person who ran away from sin. And he realized this truth that sin affects our relationship with God and others and what he did in the example that we see in his life. So if you have your Bibles, turn this morning to Genesis chapter 39. We're going to start reading at verse 5. If you don't have a Bible... There's a Bible in the seat in front of you, and it's on page 19 in that Bible. And I want to encourage you, take that out and open up God's Word with us and follow along together as we read about the story of Joseph and about the situation that he finds himself in and the truth that he realizes. Now, once you have that, hold on to that for just one moment. And I want to take a moment and explain to you who Joseph was in case you're unfamiliar with the story of Joseph. Last week, we talked about a man named Abraham. And how Abraham had a child, he had his first son, whenever he was 100 years old. And God blessed his family. So crazy story what God did. And Joseph is the great-grandson of Abraham. And Joseph is this very special child. He grew up in a large family. So he has 11 brothers and he has one sister. So it's a very large family. But Joseph is special to his father. He's unlike all of his brothers because of the situation and kind of the circumstances that he was born in. And so Jacob loves Joseph in a different way. And um, man, he kind of shows favoritism towards him. And it causes issues with Joseph's brothers. Joseph was also special because God gave him visions and dreams even at a young age. And Joseph awoke one morning and he was sharing this vision. He was sharing these dreams with his father and with his brothers. And he said, I had this dream and this vision. And he explains it to him. And they say, wait a minute, Joseph, do you really think God's saying that you're going to rule over us? You're one of the youngest in the family. Do you really think you're going to be the leader and somehow God's going to place you in a place of authority over us? That's not going to happen, Joseph. You're just dreaming. And they start to get upset with him. 
They allow hatred in their life. They allow jealousy until one day when they're out in the fields taking care of the sheep, they see Joseph coming and they develop this plan. Let's kill Joseph. Here comes that dreamer. Let's kill him and let's see what actually happens to his dreams. And Reuben tries to protect Joseph. And so instead of killing them, they put him in a pit. And whenever Reuben's gone, they sell him to some Midianite slave traders. For 30 pieces of silver, they then take this special coat Joseph had, they dip it in lamb's blood, they tear it apart, and they give it to their father and say, some vicious animal attacked our brother, and this is all that we found of his. And while they're spinning this lie for their father, Joseph is on his way down to Egypt. And he's going to be sold into this man's house named Potiphar. And so he's in a different country, he's in a different place, a different culture, he's been betrayed by his brothers, he's no longer around his family, and now he is a slave in Potiphar's house. Potiphar was master, he was the leader over the Pharaoh's guards, and so he had a place of influence in Egypt, and as Joseph is there, God's hand is upon Joseph, and Joseph is elevated, even as a slave, to be leader over Potiphar's house. And this is where we pick up the story in Genesis chapter 22 and I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 39 and verse 5. This is what it says. From the time that Potiphar made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the field and in the house. And so all was left in Joseph's charge because of him. Potiphar had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, come lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, that he has put everything that he has in my charge. There is not one greater in the house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? you have your Bibles there, just underline that or highlight that there in your Bible. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And she spoke to Joseph day after day as he was doing his housework, and none of the men of the house were there in the house. So she caught him by his garment one day saying, come lie with me. But he left his garment and he fled. And then you go on to read this story in the next few verses, and you see there how she lies to Potiphar, and she says, Joseph, come, this person that you put over your house, he's come in to take advantage of me. Potiphar becomes angry, and at the end of this passive, and Joseph's master, Potiphar, took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoner were, and confined him there. And he was there in the prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. And so you see this story in the life of Joseph. This person that God spoke to at one point and through these dreams and through this vision said, hey, I'm going to make you a great leader. I'm going to do something amazing with your life. Joseph, I've got a plan and I've got a purpose for you. And you're going to see yourself rise above even your brothers and above your family. I'm going to use you in a great way. And then Joseph comes to this place where he's a slave in a different culture, in a different land, in a different country. He's not around anyone that knows him anymore. And he finds himself in this situation, in this circumstance where he's being tempted to sin 
Where Potiphar's wife says, hey, go ahead, come and sleep with me. Come and lie with me. And no one has to know about this. And she's tempting Joseph day after day, day after day, calling out to him, trying to entice him, tempt him with what it is that she wants to do with him. And I look at Joseph's life and I think, man, he had every reason to commit this sin, you guys. Like he could have come up with so many excuses like the Egyptians, they worshiped other gods. They didn't know his God and they didn't know what God had spoken to him about his life and how God wanted him to live. They had all of these other morals and and lifestyles that they lived. And he could have said, you know what? In this country, it's okay. He could have looked and said, God, you've turned your back on me. You've given me all of these dreams and nothing's come of them, Lord. You promised me all of these things and you've said all of these things. And where are you at now, God? I'm a slave in another country. I'm away from my family. My brothers have betrayed me for 30 pieces of silver. Man, God, you're nowhere in sight. Why should I live my life to honor you? He could have made all of these excuses. He could have thought, you know what? No one ever is going to find out what's going on. We could hide this. But Joseph knew this truth. You can see it in his language. My sin will affect my relationship with God and my relationship with others. He looks at Potiphar's wife and he says that, how can I commit this great wickedness? How can I sin against God? And she's probably thinking, this isn't a sin against your God. Keep on worshiping your God. Just come and lie with me. Just come and have sex with me. That's what she's thinking. But Joseph knew, no, if I do this, it's gonna affect my relationship with God. This isn't something that's just gonna happen between me and you. This is gonna impact how I see God and how I view God and my relationship with God. This sin is gonna separate me from him and his plan for my life. How can I commit this great wickedness against him? Joseph, you can hear it. Potiphar's put me over everything. And even though we may think we may be able to hide it, something's gonna happen in that relationship with me and Potiphar. Every time I see him, I'm gonna begin to wonder, wait, does he really know? Did I really hide it? There's gonna be this distrust that's gonna take place in our life. Why? Because our sin affects our relationship with God. It affects our relationship with others. Church, you can't hide it. You can't kind of tuck it away and think no one's gonna find out. It's gonna be there anytime you violate God's design for your life. Anytime you step outside of God's plan for your life and you go against what God wants for your life, it's entering sin into that relationship and it affects the way that you see God, what's going on in your relationship with God. It affects the way that you see others. We know this in the world around us. We see this in our everyday circumstances in what's taking place Um, around us in our life. You guys, Jason is up here every week and he plays this beautiful instrument right here, right? I'm not gonna try to play it because it wouldn't sound as good, but he's got this guitar. And if you were to take that guitar, I'm not gonna do it because I don't wanna mess it up. You have a golf ball there and you were to hit it like a golf club, it may work. The ball may sail off somewhere, right? It may go where you want it to depending on how good of a golfer you are. You could take that same guitar and if you've got something, you you could use it to maybe hammer something in. You don't want to do that because that's a very beautiful guitar, right? But you know, probably all of us know that if you use that guitar for something like that, that's not what it was designed for. It's not designed to be a hammer. It's not designed to be a golf club. Something's going to happen, right? It's going to begin to break it. And the next time Jason gets up here to play that guitar, it's not going to sound the same. After a little bit, it's no longer going to function. 
the way that it needs to. We know this in so many other parts of our life. We understand this. But yet when it comes to us, we truly believe that we can live outside of God's design and that nothing will happen. So many times we believe that lie that we can sin and we can hide away sin and we can commit wrong against other people, against God, and there aren't going to be any effects. We truly believe that we can go on being who we were meant to be, and that's not the way it works. Joseph knows that. How can I commit this sin? How can I commit this act against God? Numbers 32, 23 says this. You can write this down and look at it later. He's, God's talking to his people and he says, if you do this, know this, your sin, you're gonna be committing a sin against me and be sure of this, your sin will find you out. Be sure of this, people of God, your sin will find you out. You can't hide it. You can't get away from it. Whenever you sin, it's gonna be discovered. It's gonna be found out. Why? Because our sin affects our relationship with God and it affects our relationship with others. And so what does Joseph do? He runs from it. He runs from that situation. He doesn't sit there and keep on talking to her. He doesn't sit there and flirt with her and think, okay, well, I'm not gonna let it go too far. I'm not gonna let something too big happen, but, but this is kind of enticing. He doesn't sit there and kind of allow the temptation to stay around him. No, he runs from it. He runs out of that room, and even as she grabs his garment, he doesn't allow that to stop him. He just keeps on going, and he runs from that situation. He doesn't want to be anywhere near it. Why? Because he knows that if he stays there, sin is going to overtake his life, and that sin is going to cause brokenness in his relationship with God and his relationship with other people in that household. And so Joseph runs away from it, and we don't always see that, how sin affects us, but I want to tell you a story, and then I want us to look at our own lives and see how this plays out in each of us. There was a young boy and a young girl, and they did the chores that their mom asked them to. And they did really well that day, and so their mom said, hey, I'm going to take you to the store, and I'm going to get you something. You're going to be able to pick out a little toy or some candy or something that you really want because you guys have done an awesome job um, kind of doing your chores. And so they're excited. They go to the store. The boy's looking around, he's looking at some different toys, and he chooses a bag of marbles. I promise this story is not about me, okay, you guys? This is not the same story, okay? So this little boy, he chooses this bag of marbles. He thinks, hey, this is really what I want. His sister chooses some candy, so she gets this bag of candy, and she's super excited about it. They get home, the sister eats a few pieces of candy, and then she puts it away. The boy is playing with his marbles, and all of a sudden he realizes, maybe this isn't really what I wanted. These are kind of getting old. They're not fun anymore. And so he goes to his sister and he says, you know what? You've already eaten some of your candy. And I'll tell you what, I'll give you this bag of marbles. You can play with them. I'll just give them to you. You give me whatever's left over of the candy. So she thinks about it and she agrees to it. And the boy goes off and he takes a handful of the marbles and he stuffs them away in his sock drawer. And he gets the rest of them. He takes this bag of marbles, what's left of them. And he goes to his sister and he hands them to her. He says, here, here you go, here's all the marbles. And so she gives him the half bag of candy. They both go to sleep that night. The girl lays her head down on the pillow and instantly she's just out. The boy can't go to sleep. He's tossing and turning all night because there's one thought going through his mind. I wonder if she really gave me all of the candy. I wonder if she really gave me all of the candy. 
Did she keep any for herself? And church, whether we always see it or not, sin affects our relationship with others. Whatever that sin is, sometimes that we think, well, we can hide it away. No one will really know what's going on. No one will really understand what's taking place in our life. Whenever you violate your relationship with God or someone else, it will affect that relationship with that other person. It will affect you. It happens all of the time. Whenever you allow lies or deceit to enter into your life, distrust is bred there. Whenever you participate in gossip about that person in your workplace, about that person at your school, and you say something about them, and all of your friends are there, and maybe it sounds really witty, and everyone laughs in the break room, and you walk out of that room, and that question comes in your mind, wait, do they talk about me whenever I'm not there? Why? Because sin breeds distrust. It affects your relationship with others. Whenever you're dishonest, you begin to wonder, wait, are they really lying about me? Whenever you cheat on your spouse and you allow lust or anything to come in that marriage relationship, you start to wonder, wait, are they really being faithful to me? Why? Because sin affects our relationship with God and our relationship with others. We allow lies and betrayal to enter into our life, and then we wonder, wait, God, are you truly faithful? Whenever we get in this habit of dishonesty, we open up God's word and we say, wait, God, can I really trust that you're gonna do what you said you were gonna do? Why? Because your sin affects your relationship with God and it affects your relationship with others. And we've got it backwards, church. So many times we live our life and we're afraid if we sin, God's gonna change his view of us. Church, God doesn't change his view of us. He knows we are broken. He knows we are messed up people. He knows that we are desperately in need of a savior. Sin doesn't change God's view of you. It changes your view of God. You begin to question if he's really that good. You begin to question if he's really gonna be faithful to his word. You begin to question if you can really Trust him. Sin will affect your relationship with God. And we see this example in the life of Joseph, and we need this in our own life. Whenever we're faced with temptation, whenever you're in that workplace and someone starts to flirt with you, you don't sit there. You don't wait around. You run from that. Whenever you're faced with that decision and you don't know, telling the truth may have bad consequences. You don't sit there and flirt with the idea. You speak the truth. Why? Because you know that, that sin will begin to affect your relationship with God and it'll affect your relationship with others. So we are people who run from sin. Now we're broken people. And the message of the Bible isn't that God's waiting for you to sin so that he can kind of write you off. So then you can say, oh, I knew it all along. You're broken, you're a messed up person, and now I'm done with you. First John chapter two, verse one, John's writing to the church, and this is what he says. My children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. He's saying that my hope is that you don't mess up. My hope is that you don't entertain sin, but that you run from it. But he goes on, he doesn't stop there, but he says, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He's saying, I'm praying that you don't sin. I'm praying that you run away in that moment like Joseph, that you flee from that temptation, that you take off and you don't entertain that thought, that you don't allow sin to overtake you. But if you do, know this. If you give in, know that we have someone who will go to God on our behalf. We have Jesus who will stand in our place. 
who is the sacrifice for the sin in our life. And the word of God says that when we see what God has done, when we see the righteousness of Jesus, when we see that Jesus has taken our place, it creates that desire in us to flee from sin, to move away from those things that break our relationship with God, that destroy our relationship with other. Whenever we see the love of God and what he did on the cross in that moment, it's that reminder, God, I wanna live according to your purpose. God, you have a plan. I mean, you just look at the life of Joseph and such a powerful story. Even when he did the right thing and it looked like things were gonna go bad, God said, my hand's still on you. Doesn't matter what the world does to you. They wanna sell you into slavery, I'll make you head of the household. They wanna put you in prison, I'll make you the ruler of that prison. I'll make you second in command of that prison. It doesn't matter when you're following my plan and my purpose, my hand and my favor will be upon you. Church, we need to be people who reflect the character of God and we run from sin. We run from sin because we realize it'll break our relationship with God, that it breaks our relationship with others. It causes obstacles for the people that are closest to us. When we allow gossip, jealousy, lies, lust, deceitfulness in our hearts. And this morning, God's reminding us, church, I'm calling you to run from that. I mean, just imagine what would take place in your workplace when you stand up and you say, hey, I'm gonna be a person of integrity. When everyone at your school wants to take the easy way out, cheat on the exam, gossip about other people, and you say, no, I'm gonna be a person of integrity. I'm not gonna talk about people like that. In your family, when you're a person of your word, and what you say you follow through with, imagine the trust that your kids are gonna be able to have in you. Imagine how their view of God is gonna change because you're a small picture of their heavenly father. Imagine what would happen if in this city, in cities around the United States, if we as the church didn't only look out for our own selfish interests, didn't allow hatred to fuel our words and our behavior, but we allowed the love of Jesus to be the way that we interact with one another. Imagine how our cities would look different See, church, this is what God is calling us to, that we're people that run away from sin because we realize that sin will affect our relationship with God and with others. Now, I wanna pray for you this morning. I'm gonna ask if you would bow your head and close your eyes. This morning, I just wanna ask if there's anyone here in the room and maybe you're here and you're saying, Aaron, I've not been running from sin in my life. And if I could be truly honest, I've been allowing sin to control me. And I see that brokenness that you're talking about. I, I see how it's affected my relationship with God. I see how it's affecting my relationship with others. And maybe for you, you've never taken that step of starting a relationship with God. And this morning, just as I mentioned, Jesus is here. 
God gave his son to be that sacrifice in our life. Because you and I, we can't fix ourselves on our own. We're broken people. And we're in need of a savior. And so God gave his son. He took your place. He took my place on the cross so that our relationship with him could be restored. So that our relationship with others could be restored. And if that's you, you're here and you're saying, Aaron, I don't have that relationship. Or maybe I've allowed sin to cause me to walk away from God. But this morning, man, I want to recommit to him. I want to take that stand and say, God, I want my life to honor you. If that's you, would you just stand up right where you're at and come forward to this altar right here in front of the stage? I want to pray with you. Anyone at all, don't let maybe what others think or fear in your life to hold you back. If God's speaking to you this morning, if you know that sin has separated you from God and you're saying, man, I need that relationship with him. If that's you, I want to give you this opportunity. Come forward right now. I want to pray with you. Well, if there's no one here in that situation, church, then I want to just close in prayer. And I want to ask you, as, as I lead us, that you wouldn't just sit and listen to me, but that you would pray right where you're at. And if there's anything in your life that may be holding you back, if there's anything that you've been spending time with that's sin, you've not run from, but you know, God, this could become a dangerous area in my life. As we pray together, I want you to just give that to God. I want you to pray, God, help me to run from those things, God, that would destroy me, that would destroy my relationship with you, and just begin to surrender them over to God. Church, let's pray together. God, I come before you, Lord, and I thank you from this, for this reminder from Joseph's life, God. Lord, I know there are temptations, Lord, in each and every one of us, God, that would try to destroy us. God, there are voices in our life trying to entice us, God, trying to draw us into, God, into sin, away from you, Lord. And this morning, God, you're reminding us that you're calling us to be people who run from that, God, who don't stay there, Lord, but God, we run away from those things, God, that our character and who we are, God, that it reflects your goodness and your righteousness, God. So I pray that, Lord, let us live that way, God, in our workplace, God, in our schools, with our family, God, that everywhere that we are, God, that we would reflect your goodness, God, and who you are. And God, that example, that it would bring change to those around us. God, that it would restore brokenness that people see, God, all around them, Lord, that we would be that agent of change, Lord, as we live as you're calling us to live, God, with your purpose and your plan, God, your design for us, Lord. Help us to live that way, God. We pray this in your name. Amen.